Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. My friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hey, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. Hey, Pep. So uh, if, if you are tuning in today and you didn't hear last week's episode, first of all, you missed a lot. Go back, listen to it now. But secondly, we were... It was it was so much information, and it was going so well, and Kurt had just told this amazing story, and I knew that there were more things that we wanted to talk about in this episode, and so we decided to stop and make this a two-part episode. And so yeah. just towards the end of episode one, or part one of this two-part episode, Kurt, you were sharing a story about what had actually happened last week in one of the confessional communities. And and in that story, it became so apparent that it's not just what happens to us as individuals in the room, but it's what happens mm-hmm. to everyone in the room. And mm-hmm. it's so apparent that the Spirit of God is moving mm-hmm. in the room. And Dude. there are things going on that are not necessarily of this world uh, right. in those rooms. And, and, or, or, yeah. or, or, they, or they are of this world... And meaning, meaning they are of the spiritual realm, right? That, that in our kind of modernist way of thinking about the world, we've just kind of like, oh, that's spiritual. That's not the real world, right? Well, right, yes. That's not, that's not the material yes. world. It's something other, and it's experiences like this where we we see very clearly that that like the very thing that we realized in Genesis chapter two. That you know, and he breathed the breath of life into the, into man's body, and man became a living being. Like we are spirit bodies. That we we are the points of contact where the kingdom of God and the kingdom and and the kingdom of 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 the earth come together. It's not surprising that when beauty and goodness is happening in the room, and in that story, people the the, the people of the community were coming to the aid of one of their own that the kingdom of darkness is going to want to push back and is going to want to make everybody anxious until somebody else in the room says something's going on here. And I'm feeling it like right now in my chest, like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what this is about, but like, I'm just feeling really heavy, really, I'm feeling the darkness. Right. That, that, that is like, oh my gosh, this is not just about what's happening for one of our members. This is happening to the community as a whole. Right. And this is where the body of Jesus is in the best sense of the word at war with the kingdom of darkness. And when we name things, when I to to, to that second member, right? When we start to connect how her how that person's story is connected to the other person's story, this is not unlike what Jesus is doing when he's naming demons. He's naming things in the gospels. And they're like, "No, no, 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 no." And because when we name things, we tame things. And and this is Genesis, this is the second sentence of the Bible, that God was not afraid of the chaos, of the deep. He hovered. Hovered, yep. And he spoke and brought order and purpose. And dude, I like, I just, again, that room, like in a period of about two and a half to three minutes, Courtney, my colleague, just says, I just want to observe what's happened in the room. And everybody pauses and looks like, dang, something has happened here. 
in the room. And I think this is, you know, when all this, this brings us, you know, we, we've said that we're, we're taking things out of our imagination into a state of incarnation. We're, we're naming what's happening in the room between me and others and as a community. And we're naming the contagion of emotion that is taking place where the spirit of God is wrestling with the other, with other spirits in that realm. And as we make things explicit, we are doing this work essentially of like when we, when we talk about part of the role of formation of these confessional communities is to enable us to become bilingual, multilingual, that we are both naming the things that are happening about our stories, about our memory, what, what's taking place in, in, you know, in my family, in my marriage, my friends, my, and we are also naming what's happening in the room in the language of the in the language of faith in the language of scripture that these are principalities and powers and we are appealing to texts in these moments when we say this is what Paul meant when Paul says that we're wrestling we we don't wrestle against flesh and blood we're not wrestling against each other we're wrestling against things that are not that easy to sense an image and feel because most of the time they are embedded in the parts of our stories that we never talk about but the more we talk about our stories, the more truly we say these things. And the more you talk uh, about your story makes me realize about those places that I'm not talking about. And that's, that all starts coming up and it's, it's, dude, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. That, yeah. That's exactly what's happening. And it's like, it's like, you know, you, you get, you get your, you know, your, your frozen or your cold piece of, of food or whatever out, out of the, out of the refrigerator and you put it on a pot on the stove and you slowly turn up the heat, mm. you turn up the heat and things start to move about. Right. And now you start to, you start to do things with something because you bring heat to that moment. You are naming things. You're naming something. It activates something within me. And things then, I didn't know. I didn't know. And then you start naming it. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. And that, and that becomes the place where, you know, like when, like, like for instance, when, when people like when they, when they're naming their grief and as, as they name their grief that they have historically stayed away from, but they start to name it and then it activates something in somebody else about somebody else's grief. And before you know it, three or four people are naming their griefs and they are not only sharing with the person who's first talked, mm-hmm. but the collective grief of the whole space enlarges and the spirit of the room enters. And when people sense that they are not alone in their grief, and maybe they're sensing it for the very first time in their life, they discover an awakening Mm -hmm. that like there's this healing that takes place because the spirit of God. And then what do you do? You say, oh, this is what, this is what it was like in John 11. What are you talking about? When Jesus first has a conversation with Martha, who comes to him and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And he, and he takes her at, her at her word and he says, yes, but like even, and she said, but even now you can do something like I know. And he says, I'm the resurrection. And he says, I know, I know in the age to come, she's, she enters into a theological dialogue with him. She's, she's having a hard time staying with her grief. She starts to talk about the resurrection and so forth. She goes and finds her sister. Martha, I don't know. We don't know. Martha can't tolerate that story. Can't tolerate the. She goes and finds her sister and says, the master is calling for you. And it's this moment when we say like, look, everybody in the room, 
Jesus is calling for your grief. He's been calling for it. And what's happening in the room is that each of you is the body of Jesus. As a member of the body of Jesus, Mm -hmm. you are Jesus calling for the grief of somebody else. And when Mary comes with her friends, and she says the same thing that Martha does, if you'd only been here, and then she just returns to her weeping. She's not there to have a theological conversation. She's not there to debate this. She's not there to have a conversation. She is there with all with the only thing that she has, which is her grief. And then, dude, like you see what happened. Like it's when when Jesus he sees her and her friends, he was moved in his spirit. And then he says, Where have you lain him? And they say, come and see. And then Jesus weeps, right? John eleven thirty five. It's when their grief is fully in the room, without theological debate, without distraction, without denial, without, I'm just going to be, like, I'm going to, that's when he acts. And this is what happens in the room all the time. Jesus acts when our grief comes into the room, mm-hmm. when we name these things, which is exactly what happened. And, but we, now we can incorporate a text. We name the text and now, like, we can see that, like, oh my gosh. Like, what's just happened in the room? This is the Spirit of God moving. This is John 11 being made manifest in a room in Arlington, Virginia in 2023. <laughs> And so this is, this is just one example of the number of different ways in which we can incorporate text, in which we're becoming multilingual, in which we are beginning to master this material of becoming professional human beings. And we're practicing, practicing, and we, we, we will do this forever imperfectly. And Jesus, he's not worried about being perfect. He's not, that's not his concern. His concern is that along the way, the more liberation we sense, the less we are being imprisoned by our shame and our fear, we become people of greater wisdom. We are people who produce fruit, as Jesus says in John's gospel, fruit that will last. It's the fruit of the Spirit, all that we know about that. It is becoming people of the Sermon on the Mount. And we then become people who are more likely to look for options to create. The beauty is waiting in those moments where heretofore we've just seen them as problems that need to be solved. Not just because it's happening in the room, I now imagine taking this moment with me into my classroom as a teacher, into my work as an attorney, into my work as a contractor, into my, in my family, in my marriage, in my, all these things. This is the work of the Spirit transforming us in this space, that we may be agents of transformation. In that way, we learn to love the work. We become people of greater integration, and we're not spending time judging our lack of progress. It's in this way that we discover in embodied experiences what the purpose and the work of the conventional community really is. And uh, this is the, 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 the time that this takes in this middle area, this, you know, this in the middle passage, this, this, this place between the beginning and the end of a confessional community. These things can happen in a period of, you know, a a few sessions. These may may take several weeks, several months to happen. 
But over the course of time, as we continue to faithfully return to that space with the friends that are in that space, we discover that it is beauty and goodness that starts to emerge from places that heretofore we may never even been aware of that were there, but certainly often spaces that we never could have imagined that it could come from. Wow. <laughs> and and is it as you are you able to as you have you know been involved with several of these confessional communities as you've led several of them now are you able to recognize the phases as as the group is going through them like like is it predictable at this point for you well I, you know as I, as i tell people you know for for some people like there are some people who are in the third phase in the very first right. session like they're jumping in they're not wasting any time now they might not be aware that that's what they're doing right but that's what they do but you will see that there will be some people who move in these phases more quickly than others. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, Pep, here's the, here's the other interesting thing that, that, that we'll see is that, and, and this, you know, for our listeners who are considering entering into one of these, there may be, a, a, you know, I, I, might, I might bring a lot of my story into the third phase. And then I'm in a conversation in, and I discover, oh, there's a part of my story that I have been sitting on for as long as we have been in this group. <laughs> and I am not ready to haul that thing into the room. And I'm I'm actually quite open about a lot of things. Sure. And so there may be parts of us also that enter into the phases at different paces, if you will. I think what's important, again, it's not so important that, well, we got to get everybody into the third phase. What is important is that we are able to honestly just name where we actually happen to be. Mm. Again, without condemnation. But what's really beautiful is that in, in having a sense of what these phases are and being able to name them and be able to say, oh, here's where I am, we can then say, well, tell me about that. Tell me more about the part of you that you are aware of that is worried right. about taking the next step. And let's, as one of the, one of the I, I love what my colleague Courtney Morrison, one of the, one of the uh, tactics that she uses, it's just so beautiful. And, and by the way, like, I, I <laughs> she, I, I say like, you know, she's a, so she's a licensed clinical social worker, LCSW. I said, I think you should add two other letters at the end of your letters. And I should, LCSW, comma, PN. She's like, I don't know, what's, what's PN? I said, like, I think you're a psychotherapy ninja. Because <laughs> that's exactly what she is. She's a PN. And, but one of the questions that she, when, when people are like anxious, you can tell, that like, I, I don't want to know. And then she'll say, well, let's, what, what, what if we talk about talking about it? Let's talk about what you imagine it would be like for you to talk about it. We don't have to even name the thing yet. Yeah. But let's, what, what do you, let's name, what are you worried is going to happen? Well, I'm worried that people are going to, oh, which people, right? And, be, <laughs> and before you know it, people have begun the process of naming the thing. They've begun the process of getting fully into the pool because they have put their feet in the pool and they're now standing on the steps that go down to the pool and they're like, I'm not sure I want to get into the pool. Step down. I'm not, I'm really not sure I want to get into the pool. Step, you know. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, you 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 taught me that, and I recently uh, the the idea of uh, someone that was that's close that I'm close to, I knew was afraid to talk about something, and and um, that was very helpful. Yeah. You know, Kurt, as we look at confessional communities, I want to share with you our Being Known podcast community, something recently brought to my attention. Did you know that the world is facing a devastating global food crisis? Many factors have caused this, including the war in Ukraine, inflation, fertilizer shortages, the effect of COVID-19, and extreme weather, right? These things have all kind of collided to create this global food crisis. And as food prices climb, hunger and malnutrition in vulnerable children intensifies. And so when we learned about this crisis, we thought, what can we do about it? This is why we sought out a partnership with Compassion International. Phyllis and I have supported Compassion International for years, and we know firsthand the amazing work that they do. One of the unique things about Compassion is that they work with local churches located where the need is most urgent. This is church-driven, child-focused, Christ-centered work. And this is where we all come in. Now, here's what we're asking you to do. A one-time donation of $50. You're not going to believe what Compassion International can do with this $50. They feed a family of five for a full month with that $50 donation. Wow. Now, we get to be a part of this work, right? Compassion International empowers people from their own community to help. This is locally sourced food delivered neighbor to neighbor. And, you know, I love this because when help does arrive, it arrives with a familiar face at the door. And we certainly hope this helps the families and children feel seen, soothed, safe, and secure in addition to feeding them. Hmm. These interventions help families return to normal so children can experience healthy development and thrive in their God-given potential. We really need your help here. So go to Compassion.com forward slash known. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N dot com forward slash known. Make a $50 donation and feed a family of five for a month. We'll have a link in the show notes as well. Please join us. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad we split dude, this episode like, in two. You dude, know? man, I'm telling you, like, confessional communities, dude, yeah. like, it's, it is, it is, like, I, I, I've said this to Tim Mackey, I, I said the, the, the uh, you know, our, our, our friend at the Bible Project, I said, like, when we talk about the scriptures being, what are they, they are ancient, ancient, oh, why didn't Jewish, yeah, yeah. sorry, God-human, ancient, Jewish, messianic meditative wisdom literature that is in that is written with the expressed purpose of being read in this cyclical back and forth meditative way we go we just it's it's not just one linear arc like and and like i think see i think that i think that growth for me should just be a straight arrow linear mark i'm growing and then i grow and then i grow and then i grow like why do i have to go back and cover territory i thought i'd already covered like five years ago why did I thought that I had really grown with patience, grown with all the things, and then something happens, and my adult child does something, and I feel like I'm ten years old. All like, why am I going? Why are we going back there? Right. 
And what's so, what's so beautiful is that that's actually the way the scriptures are written and intended to be eaten in this cyclical meditative way that continually takes us back because Jesus, the Holy Trinity is so serious about being so thorough, like no stone being left unturned. But there are certain things that I'm not ready to look at yet that are still in my past. And we get a little further down the road, and what do you know? Somebody says something in the confessional community, and there I am. I'm 14 years old again. Like, I'm 60, and I'm 14 years old. I thought we'd covered that territory, and we're back at it. And like, no, but this is what it means to... The text and the confessional community are mirrored images of each other. This is what the body of Jesus... We are intended to grow in the very same way that the text was written and intended to be read. Like, dude, it's, it's just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. And the Tim Mackey that you were referring to, I don't know if you said, is is uh, with the Bible Project. And yeah, that's something that we right. talk about quite often here. Um, we have an artistic offering today that I am really excited about because I have a relationship with this particular piece of art that you introduced me to. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was the, I would, I would say it was probably the first time that I intentionally sat in front of a piece of art like this. And had an emotional experience. And so um, this this uh, art piece that we're talking about today is Rothko's number 61. And Kurt, I'd love if you would like to talk about it a little bit. And I've got it up on my screen here right now. Hmm. Um, yeah. 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 And as, we, as we're recording, I'm looking to my left on the wall and uh, I, I see the print here. Mark Rothko, uh, an American artist who became well-known in his work with abstract pieces, but also especially these large canvases that would have two or three, sometimes four bands of color that you might see from a distance. And you're wondering like, what? Like, it's just okay, like three bands of color, like 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 my, my six-year-old could do that. And you, you know, I, I had an encounter, my first encounter with it was many, many years ago in, in the National Gallery, sitting with one of these pieces and, and then eventually encountering in particular number 61, because you have this sense of like a first glance, you're like, oh, it's just a piece of, it's just color. That's all it is, which is a lot of like what we look at our life. It's just fill in the blank or it's, and it's this, like, it, it doesn't easily make sense because I'm looking for something to make sense. But if you're willing to be with it and allow it to be with you, my experience was that after a period of time, probably sat with it for about 30 or 40 minutes mm-hmm. after a period of time, and it probably took 10 to 15 minutes, I became aware that it was not just three bands of color. These were layer upon layer upon layer of color. And I'm color deficient as it is, so it's not easy for me to see stuff in the first place. And then you, and and I, I, I it just starts to evoke in me things. And I'm like, how, like, what's happening here? And I had, I remember telling you guys this, that I had this odd experience of feeling like I was being seen by the painting. And like, I'm not, I'm not, this is, I'm not trying to make this sound weird, but I mean, like this felt sense that I, like, I'm ha- like the, re- like the painting and I are having some relationship with each other in which part things I'm feeling are being evoked. And, and I, I just, I, I just know that, the, that it was one of the first encounters that I had with this notion that beauty uh, you know, when I when I see, uh, you know, a Rembrandt's Night Watch, the scene is set. It's all very clear. I know what it means. It's very, like, we yeah. all, and so, like, 
all my defenses are up. I can like when I sit with a with a piece like Rothko's number sixty one, like I like I can't marshal my defenses because I don't know what it is I'm defending against. Yeah, yeah. I you so, know I, I had when like I said when I when we we did this practice and I sat in front of it for about thirty minutes I think, and my eyes started to well up. Mm-hmm. You know, I got, I was very, very emotional and I, I, I didn't understand it. I didn't, you know, I, um, and I've, I've since done a little bit of research and it's not uncommon for people to sit in front of Rothko in particular, um, and, and cry and have an emotional response to it. And, um, I want to ask you, Kurt, have you ever been to the Rothko room? It's, uh, Which one? Which... Phillips, the Phillips collection. It's in DC. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, yes, so. Yeah. On October 26th, you and I are going to be together. Dude. We're going to be doing, and Amy's going to be with us. We're going to be doing a live yeah. uh, recording of the yeah, podcast. Right. You all, all right. your listeners are invited. Mark the date. We don't have a sign up for it yet, but uh, mark the date for this as well as the Center for Being Known conference, which will be the the Friday, the following day, the 27th. The 27th, right. The Connections Conference. So, so the 26th, I would love... To go to either 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 this Rothko because because this room is is spectacular. I mean, it's just you know it's yeah yeah. yeah. Oh, what? Let's do it on the twenty sixth in the morning, it. and then Dude. we'll then we'll go cry in the podcast. And- <laughs> 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 oh, oh, too much. So yeah. we do have also an application for this uh, this week, and we want you to think about how do, how does what we have explored revealed parts of your story that you've become more curious about, and whose other stories do you long to know more about? So take some time this week and think about those two questions, and it's very simple to just get on your computer and look up Rothko. Uh, number 61 and um and you can without even going to the art museum you can have an experience with it so kurt yeah, yeah. bud Pep. Man. i love you thank Dude, you for you. thank you for today and i can't wait for next week yeah. and um right those of you who are watching on youtube stick around because amy's coming on This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.